Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. I'm Robin Ayoub, your host. Join me for captivating conversations with industry leaders exploring localization, translation, and global communication. Ignite your curiosity as we expand your horizons through these conversations. So let's dive in together into the Localization Fireside Chat. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Robin Ayub. I'm the founder of the uh, Localization Fireside Chat uh, podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, this relatively young platform, only uh, six months into this, has given me and given the audience uh, an incredible opportunity to listen to thought leaders in our industry, in the localization industry, and variety of business leaders. They come and share their opinion on this channel to tell their intriguing stories uh, when it comes to localization, languages, uh, et cetera, technology that's affecting our business as well. And to also discuss some, some of the trends that are taking place in our industry, some of the challenges and some of the innovations um, that are happening right now in our industry. So if you have not done so already, I encourage you to press the subscribe button, comment on our uh, videos, our podcast, and engage with our content. Uh, we really appreciate that. Today, I'm honored to have with me Carrie Fisher, a returning um, guest to this channel. Carrie, for those of you who don't know, uh, she's the president of Women in Localization. She's also a uh, globalization service manager for Subway. Carrie, welcome back. Hopefully, Thank it's you. not too early in Idaho. And if you don't mind, no. uh, just uh, letting the audience know a little bit about you for those who don't know you. Sure. So I'm Carrie Fisher, as Robin said. Um, I basically am in charge of all of Subway's translation content. So all the departments, all the regions come through me to, to get their stuff translated. Um, president of Women in Localization, past board member. Um, I'm also a co-chair of Subway's ERG called Empower. Um, it's a women in, in leadership employee resource group within Subway. Um, and, you know, for fun, I'm the secretary of my HOA. So apparently I uh, love being on boards. I'm not really sure, but <laughs> I do believe in giving back, and that is giving back to the organizations that have done so much for me, Subway, Women in Localization, and my community here in uh, Boise, Idaho. Absolutely. Well, pleasure having you uh, with us this morning. Uh, Carrie, uh, this channel is a big supporter of Women in Localization and a variety of other uh, uh, um, like-minded associations that supports special causes and causes in general. So thanks for, uh, thanks for being with me this morning. And for the audience uh, today, um, we thought we'd talk, Carrie and I, have a little coffee chat about um, teaching kids early in the age uh, another language and the effect that could have on themselves, society, and um, the globe in general, the, uh, the planet in general, in terms of when we learn another language, uh, what, what impact that would have on the variety of aspects of things, job opportunity, um, down the road, uh, interaction with other cultures, br building bridges between cultures, uh, and on the physical matter, and I was just telling Curry before we started the recording, on the physical matter, I found out that through, uh, they did, they did some scientific studies and they did some MRI uh, on uh, the brain function for those who are bilingual or they are um, uh, trilingual and they speak more than one language. And if they happen to have that um, practice in their life, flipping between languages, they found through the MRI that the brain has a different pattern. It's more elasticity. that creates more elasticity in the brain 
which reduces the uh, cognitive decline down the road uh, in, the, uh, in the brain function, which is on the physical side, it's absolutely great. And I can't wait to dive into the topic. Obviously it's in near and dear to everybody's heart. It should be uh, a topic to everybody's interest here. Um, so Carrie, what's your thoughts on the topic? Gosh. <laughs> so having a degree in French myself, of course, I'm going to be passionate about learning different languages, uh, you know, mainly through school, right? Because there are a lot of us that uh, maybe I, my family's been here for generations. We can date ourselves back to the, you know, the, the pilgrims, right? Coming over to America. Um, and so I didn't have a second language in, in my house. So I discovered language through school and my father encouraged all of us, me and my three sisters to really follow our hearts, follow our passions, whatever that might be, because he said, it will work out. You will find something, you know, in the field of, of your, your passion. And of course my mother was like, what are you going to do with a French degree? You know, I guess you're going to teach. Um, so there is a disconnect, I think, between education in general and the localization industry. So, yes, I mean, there, there are other advantages, of course, to learning a, another language, opening a door to a new culture. Um, my, my son is in his now third year of Japanese, loves it went to Japan for the first time over the summer and got to stay with a family with three kids. And uh, just that experience, and I've done it. When I was in college, I lived with a French family. So um, just having that experience, I think really opens young people's minds to other cultures, other possibilities and, you know, maybe what they could do with their lives, or it may have nothing to do with their career. But the fact that they have opened, you know, their minds to, to other cultures, I, it's just, uh, there's, there's so many advantages to it. Communication, empathy. Uh, and, I, and I do think it actually helps people who are maybe getting a job for the first time. The fact that they've experienced another culture and, uh, you know, have dealt with things that they didn't understand and yet were able to react. I think that's a resume, resume builder. Um, so yeah, my, my passion was really, I'm, I'm seeing <laughs> and that the statistics are there more and more schools, at least in America, are not requiring more and more states are not requiring foreign languages as a requirement. It used to be you had to have at least two years in, in high school. Um, and now it's, it's gone. And the same thing in universities. And I'm thinking, my God, who's going to, who's going to replace us, Robin, when we retire, yeah. who's going to be the next generation. And so that's been kind of my passion for the last, uh, I don't know, year. You know, if we start with the premise of thinking, and I love that topic here because I, uh, I'm like you, I speak uh, three languages, and uh, just to give a little bit of myself on this talk here, 
um, you know, I started my life at home uh, speaking Arabic. I was born and raised in, in Lebanon and uh, came at a young age, uh, late teens, started traveling, uh, left, uh, left the country and I spoke in school, I spoke French um, and um, the French, you know, not the Quebec French because I'm in Canada right now, we spoke French, you know, French. And then um, I started traveling and I came to Canada. I didn't really speak a word of English when I arrived here. And I arrived in, I want to say like early 20s, uh, 2021, I think. And um, I thought, okay, so uh, what do I do? So I went, you, you, you sort of go through the motion, notion of saying you want to go to a French region. And um, so you, you can adapt, you can build your brand new life, your new immigrant to a new country. You're going to start something. Communication is the biggest hurdle. So um, anyway, so through that process, I ended up in uh, New Brunswick, and uh, I don't know, it's a bilingual province, obviously it's the only bilingual province in the country, and it was easier for me to switch because they speak a different uh, type of French, where French is in some areas, at least uh, not all areas, in some areas, the French is uh, mixed with some English. So I kind of was brand new to me, and I, you know, in my 20s, I didn't know how to deal with this. So it was easier for me to um, learn English. And believe it or not, I did not go to school to learn English. I sort of, you know, like a sponge. I only went to, after a while, I wanted to perfect my English. I went to university and, and took uh, business English communication. So just to make sure that I'm doing things correctly. But if we start for, you know, like to loop back to where we started the conversation, start with the premise of that most conflicts in the world, and I don't want to turn uh, this podcast into something like political or anything like that. That's not the case at all. Most conflicts come to the world either on a smaller scale, micro scale, scale like in a neighborhood or in a um, larger scale between countries, I believe, stems from misunderstanding each other. Human <laughs> misunderstanding each other leads to conflict. Now, if we start with the end of that particular premise, and we then we move forward and say, okay, so if I learn another language, if I'm going to learn another language, not because I hate the culture, I want to understand it better. I want to understand that culture so much that I'm willing to spend time, effort, resources to learn that language. It creates those bridges that you and I talked about earlier. So when your son, for instance, learns Japanese, it's because he finds something interesting and he wants to build on that and he wants to learn it. Now, you mentioned something very early, uh, you know, in the conversation that, you know, learning the language, and that's what I found out, learning the language in early early stages, like a couple of year old or year and a half old, etc. I don't know what the exact number is, learning early, it builds that preset in the, in the function, in the brain that makes you open to other learnings down the road. So you're not necessarily going to learn five languages early, start on, maybe some, some people do. But down the road, you already open that white sheet of paper in somebody's in somebody's brain to accept another language at easy at ease. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on this? <clears throat> Wait. <laughs> um, you have opened it up. So uh, it's funny. It's a funny story. I I remember being pregnant with with my baby who's now sixteen, and thinking I'm only going to speak French. To this child so he can have grow up you know in a dual language household um so many personal things happened and i'm sorry having a baby and working full-time and then being a very uh, uh a single mom essentially uh all that went out the window so <laughs> but i really i had the intention of only speaking french 
but at least he picked up Japanese. So at least, you know, some, something may be rubbed off um, later mm -hmm. on down the road. Uh, I agree. I, um, in America, you, you kind of start a new language in, um, in sometimes late junior high, but it's usually high school. Uh, boy, I would love to see language introduced at, in kindergarten, because that's when I think the ability, it's, it's innate in, I think, in every child. And like you said, everybody's, it's just, you're, the, you're a sponge. You can pick it up. And if you're just given the chance, um, and that's what I, I mean, think from an intellectual about. perspective, though, Gary, from an intellectual perspective, it must do wonder. And I know for sure it did to me uh, in terms of the uh, ability to learn. It accelerates the learning process, in my opinion, um, because yeah, because now, I, like, I mean, I take for me, for instance, if I am reading a document in one language, let's say user manual for something. Um, you know, we buy something for the house and I have to put it together and I'm reading something in the user manual. Now I've got three, three languages to choose from. I got to get yeah. it right. That's so, right. Because a lot of times what happened is, and I'm, you know, criticizing the industry a little bit, that these user manuals are not really properly translated in some cases. Sometimes I have yeah. to digest like, I know it. <laughs> I, I got to read them like the three different languages to make sure that I'm, I'm not missing anything. But that gives me the ability now, and, and if you're not a user manual, if you're not just reading an email, and I'm not understanding it, I can flip it to another language, and now I'm getting the picture a little bit more clear. It accelerates the learning, like, and it affects how you learn other topics and how do you communicate with cultures. You know, we talked about cultural connections earlier. You know, mm -hmm. if you learn a language and you, because you you love the language, you're obviously gonna, you know get to learn you know the food the um the theater the culture the art of that particular community a particular culture and you got to immerse yourself yes and but what is the impact you know and this is pretty interesting i let's say you know you know take a uh, hypothetical scenario and everybody in school today uh is capable of communicating in one maybe in, in more than one language so let's say us let's target Spanish language. So everybody in the US speaks two languages, English and Spanish. It's, I know we're far from there, but I'm just thinking in technicolor here. Um, what would be the impact on our industry? What would that do to the localization industry? What do you think? Oh boy, what a good question. Huh, what would that do? Gosh, that's really thought provoking. Um, do you think we translate more? Do you think we translate less? Right, that's, um, that's immediately what came to mind. Would people lose their jobs, right? Everybody thinks of AI taking jobs. What would happen if we could all speak, you know, all these all these different languages? Yeah, if it was just us in the loc industry and people had to rely on us, yeah, we would we would have jobs forever. Um, <laughs> but, it, but your example was, what if everybody in North America or US whoever, you know, spoke two languages, what would that do to, uh, well, what would it do? Because this is this is common, right? In uh, the Netherlands, everybody that I know speaks English yeah. better than Americans sometimes. Um, what does that mean? That does it. They still communicate in their native language, but they're able to communicate in English just as well. Um, does it mean that we don't translate into Dutch? No, we do. Subway does. Yeah. We have our headquarters in the you know our European headquarters in the Netherlands. What does that mean? So, um, 
I don't know. I don't think it would mean we translate less or we translate more. We just, it's just, I don't know, part of, part of the ecosystem. Um, I think the, uh, I don't know, more interesting thought was, gee, what if we all spoke 10? <laughs> what if all, all these countries spoke 10 languages? What would happen to the local industry? You know, I would, I would imagine like um, the demand for translation will go up because not all previously translated content is available in both languages anyway. I'm assuming, right. I'm assuming in the U.S. like there's a ton of content that's not translated and the demand for those uh, existing content to be put in Spanish, it goes up because instead of having 30% of the population asking for it, now you've got 100% of the population right. asking for it. That's right. Obviously, 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 some people prefer it in English. That's fine, uh, but some people will prefer to see it in uh, Spanish. And all of a sudden, the percentage of those individuals will go up as well, right? Yeah, now, yeah. now for me, uh, and and this is a this is a thing too. I mean, you hire people. We all hire people in our capacity. So when you see something on resume that this individual who you're trying to hire speaks more than one language, you're already viewing them in a different in a different lens. Uh, which brings me to the topic of career opportunity down the road as you master, you know, two or three uh, languages, how much, you know, that will expand the horizon from an employability perspective. And the other factor is that now we know that most of us after post-COVID, we are working in remote areas, uh, remotely um, connected to somewhere, to a headquarters somewhere. That headquarter doesn't necessarily need to be in the country where you are, in the state where you are, in the province where you are. It could be on another side of the planet. So the employability of that individual all of a sudden goes from a community base to a global base. And now you have two or three languages. I'm assuming you can write your own ticket at this point. So that's an impetus, really, for people to, I mean, yeah, math, physics, and all that stuff is very good. And I encourage everybody not to drop those. But adding a language on top of those, it is on top of those subjects, it's fundamentally shifting now the paradigm from an employability perspective for those individuals. Am I correct? I agree. I agree. Even if, um, even if you're working for a, a company that's in a certain country and all of a sudden they decide to go global. Um, so in America that happens all the time. And if you've got an employee who has lived in Spain, wherever, it doesn't really matter. They've experienced another culture. They, um, they can relate their stories of, oh gosh, because I didn't have this skill, I had a really time, hard time ordering food. We need to make sure that everything is in Euro. We need to make sure, you know, whatever it might be, um, mm -hmm. it translates, no pun intended, it translates well into, you know, your uh, ability to grow, I think, within a company. Absolutely, and you know, um, you know, take it a step further. We always talk about it, learning, teaching people at the young age um, the another language. But I've seen many people uh, trying to learn languages, even at a you know, as they get ahead in their life. You know, like they retired, um, they want to travel a little bit more. That's what drive learning at that age is the travel portion, not because yeah. of uh, career, but for the travel thing. I want to go to a certain country. I want to be able to speak their language, and then they use you know, various tools that are available online to help them or they go to classes. I've seen a lot of people go to class, language classes, yeah. 50, 60 years old, and they're learning languages. Uh, the, the point of that is learning doesn't stop. I mean, we are learning beings as a human. And, uh, you know, when we stop learning, we basically die. Um, I agree. And, and so 
if the if, if the subject of learning languages um, is important at a young age, it's equally important at any age, in my opinion. And but what happened is the if you learn a little bit of another language and your big evidence of that and how you were talking earlier about your son and speaking to them and speaking to him in another language or French in, in, at home, it trains the brain because I've talked to people before, like where, you know, they live in an isolated community. They don't have a lot of immigrants around them. They don't have a lot of intercultural, intercultural mix. And they never heard of another language before. Maybe the TV or something. Now the world is interconnected. But for those who never really frequent another language, it's quite the dynamic to see that because first is, you know, they don't know how to process that. And it's, they're not, in, you know, if you ask one of those individuals, go learn another language, it's like, it's very difficult, but if you at early age and you've you've gotten used to the idea that there's more than one language in the world, and I I'm already familiar with one or two, learning another one as at an older age, it's much easier, much much better for an individual. Mm -hmm. Correct? I would think so as well. Yeah, and uh, you're right. There's so many programs. Even my kid, even before starting high school, starting junior high, there was um, an app which I won't mention. Uh, you know has quizzes so it makes you say the language and he was learning spanish and <clears throat> japanese and it was it was just super interesting to him but it was the in-person experience i think within a classroom that really helped solidify the language learning and uh, i think as an adult if i took another language i want that interaction i want the personal interaction but um yeah i've already, it's already opened the door so i you know in, I discovered Spanish actually in high school and took all four years and then discovered French my sophomore year. So I took three years of French and then my dad really encouraged me to take Russian. This was in the eighties, mm -hmm. right? Cold war, all that good stuff. He's like, you're going to need this. So, <laughs> so I took Russian as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I believe, I truly believe that that, that opened uh, if I ever wanted to learn uh, another language, uh, it's our, I know I can do it. Uh, and I've already had the experience of learning three. So, um, good for you. Um, you know, it's say uh, the other point that we've talked about is empathy and understanding. So, learning another language enables uh, us to, um, uh, to 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 form um, and foster empathy for cultures and for uh, for other languages that we probably haven't been exposed to before. We've read about them in English, but not like actually speaking the language, living the culture a little bit, being exposed to the culture and building those bridges between cultures, which is very important. I mean, the, breaking down those barriers, it's language barriers. We don't understand the emotions. We don't understand the thinking, the thought process. I remember watching, and this is, I'm going to get into the learning here a little bit, but uh, stay on the empathy for a bit. And, you know, it's phenomenal. You know, you see a lot of right now, like, um, you know, uh, and I was going to back from, you know, if you go back a few hundred years ago, communities were married from the same communities. Like, you know, if you are in a certain country, you marry that, that individual, you form a family within that individual, with those, with those communities. And they're very homogeneous, if you will. Like, yeah. there's no mixing between languages, cultures, etc. Now yeah. we're seeing a lot more of that and the world is interconnected, human are human, it doesn't matter which country they come from or race or background, et cetera. So, and we're seeing a lot of that interconnectivity that is building what, what I like to call a global community. 
Now, you know, you see Canadians, uh, Americans marrying Japanese, marrying Spanish. And that's, you know, back in the days, that would be like big no-no. Now it's normal. It's something that people are embracing, which is, you know, we're lucky to be living in this in this day and age. Um, yes. And it's breaking down that barrier, if you will, of, of you know, it's, oh, my God, it's, it used to be taboo. Now it's more like, let's embrace it. Let's bring it closer to us. And people are forming wonderful families and wonderful communities resulting in that. Like the outcome of this is absolutely phenomenal on the positive side. Yes. It's funny. I don't know. <laughs> I come from a very conservative state um, with a lot of old people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they would agree with that. I agree with that. You know, I worked at Oracle and uh, one of my colleagues was Irish and she married, you know, an Indian guy. And so they would spend their half their summers were, were in Ireland and half were in India and uh, lovely, huge family that, you know, they were raising in the States, but, you know, speaking all different kinds of languages. And, um, I love that. I think you're right. It, this is how we, you know, this is how we learn about each other. Um, I mean, it even goes back to when you started speaking, I thought of Romeo and Juliet, even though everybody was white. Uh, you know, it was two different families, right? They were feuding. Well, gee, you know, there you, you could find love even in the in the most uh, difficult of situations. <laughs> and you know, in the community, from if you take that to another step, and you say, okay, so I learned another language. Now, what do I do with it? Um, from, from a communication perspective, it, it, it's just it, I can't emphasize this this strength this will give because if you've learned to communicate in one language and you've learned the nuances of communicating with another language and you start blending those two together, it makes you that more effective communicator uh, in terms of watching out for, you know, uh, cultural nuances in your communication, which is very, as you know, uh, and, and our industry is very famous for that. And we, you know, we evangelize that culture of nuances in our, in everything we do in our translation and our machine translation um, uh, designs, etc. You got to be aware of what's to be said, what's not to be said, what's to to refrain of using in one culture versus another culture that makes us a lot more sensitive to those uh, and, and it makes you on a job level if an individual has those skills and possesses those skills in a variety of languages makes them a lot more effective and more more employable in my opinion they're not going to fall into the trap oops i made a mistake i should have called that person this name meanwhile, meanwhile you should not have used it to begin with because you are aware of it now if you're not aware of it it's okay but if you are aware of some cultural nuances, then you work around that and you work them into your communication strategy. How does that work in your world? You know, when uh, I think I talked about this before, but I remember going to uh, Japan. I don't speak a word of Japanese, but uh, being the head of a localization department at Hyperion Solutions, which was bought by Oracle, they were very unhappy with the translations. It was only like two words, but it was enough, right? And they flew me out, had me go around to all the, the Japanese partners and get yelled at after they served me tea. And, uh, but I, it was such a great learning experience to see the interactions, the communication style was completely different. Um, and, just even nonverbal communication of, you know, nodding your head and uh, even, you know, maybe a little bow acquiescing to, oh, I made a mistake, you know, 
and even the the little mm, mm, that the Japanese do to I don't know say they yep yeah, I understand um, that was that was huge for me and uh, it was very uncomfortable but I, I'm so glad I did it because I don't know now I've I feel like I can communicate and even if I don't speak the language, it's the nuance of the communication that is key to, to know and to understand. So what do you recommend? Like, I mean, let's talk a little bit about what do we recommend to our audience here in terms of, um, you know, let's talk about it in age category. So for children, for kids, when and how uh, do you recommend, uh, you, you know, for those individuals who are interested in, you know, putting their kids into another uh, program of another language, for instance, learning another language, what is the easiest way to get into this? Uh, I know there's private, there's public, there's a variety of things. What do you, what do you think? Hiring help, <laughs> hiring a nanny that speaks a different language. How about <clears throat> that? I mean, that's how my nephews learned Spanish. Their nanny spoke very little English. And so she would speak to them in Spanish and they got it, you know, yeah. Uh, th and that you have to have childcare, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to work. So that's one, I guess that's one way of introducing language to, or, mm -hmm. you know, or daycare, right? So my son went to a, a home daycare. Um, unfortunately, you know, they, everyone spoke English, but finding a daycare that is mm -hmm. multicultural, I think that's yeah. the easiest and cheapest. If you can't afford a private school and who can these days, um, might be a, a very interesting way to introduce your child to uh, a different language and different culture. So the, uh, for our global audience, just give us an idea about the public education system, I guess, when it comes to second language in the US. I'm assuming that's not available? No. Um, I'm trying to think of here in Idaho, so that's my, we moved here when I when Christopher was five. Uh, so he went to, there was there was no language course class whatever available to him in the public schools in Idaho. Um, junior high, don't believe so. It was high school, and again, it's not mandatory. It was an elective, um, mm -hmm. so it's it's a tough one. Yeah, um, which is why I'm, you know, kind of on the war path if you will, of really, you know, partnering with um, ACTFL. I don't know if you're familiar with the American Council of Teacher of Foreign Languages, ACTFL. Is, I've known that acronym since I was uh, in high school. So, um, you know, they're, they're starting a nonprofit arm, and um, I'm kind of interested in putting my, my foot in that door um, because here's a way that I can influence hopefully the American school system to get foreign languages back in the classroom because they're no longer required and yet you know 90 80 percent of companies want people with a mm -hmm. different foreign language a, a foreign language or or cultural experience outside the United States and we're not doing anything to make our students more marketable in, in the future. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. where can we find more information uh, about ATFL for our audience? If somebody's interested in learning more about that association, which 
I think it's a worthy cause to at least support somehow, either by you know, looking at their uh, content, sharing their content, engaging with them, um, it would help. Absolutely, so their website is actful.org, so A-C-T-F-L.org, and then their nonprofit arm, which is just starting up, is called uh, Language Connects Foundation, um, and that is uh, lang literally languageconnectsfoundation.org, and there you can really find, you know, I'm, I'm on the website now and it's their, their top story is an urgent call for multilingual talent. Um, they did a study and, you know, the key findings include, you know, nine out of 10 U.S. employers rely on employees with language skills other than English. 56 say their language demand will increase in the next five years. Um, there's, you know, one in three language dependent U.S. employers report a language skills gap and one in four U.S. employers lost business due to lack of language skills. So we got to get on, we got to get on this. Yeah, so you bring a very valid point. I mean, in this case, we're talking about Actful, but um, our industry needs to be engaged with many like, uh, like associations or organizations in the world. Uh, not necessarily to be an industry where we receive, uh, you know, the uh, order to process things, uh, service industry, that's what we do. But we also need to influence the policies and uh, be uh, working with those agencies and organizations to affect how language policies shapes our industry and shape our communities too. Because, you know, first let's start with the community, which takes effect on our industry as well. And without those policies, like, I mean, I'm using Canada because I am in Canada right now, and this is the country I understand well from a language perspective, is that if we do not have language policies in Canada that, you know, enforce it, enforce or not necessarily enforce, in some cases it's elective, but it's more like you have to translate in Canada. You cannot not translate. You want to sell in Quebec, you need to be translating your content to Quebec, right? Yes. So it is not a choice. Unless you want, you don't want to work in that environment, that's fine. I mean, there are some companies they decide to work in their own regions, uh, English speaking in Canada. They don't interact in that. But if you are a national company, you're, you know, you're covering this country, to, you know, you know, ocean to ocean, basically coast to coast. You have to translate to another language. Another country, which is another great example, is Switzerland. You know, you got three, four languages in the country, and you have to do those in. Um, I wonder where where is the U.S. policy on language now? I, I just can you give us an update on that one? The U.S. Oh, I have no idea what the U.S. policy is on language. Do you have a language policy in the U.S.? Are you aware of any? Meaning, like is there, is, things have to be there, like, a, uh, translated into certain languages. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a U.S. policy or state. You know, it's probably by state. It could be even by by county. Um, I bet certain emergency uh, communications or, you know, something have to be translated into the languages that are more prominent in those particular states. But to be honest, I don't know what the policy is on providing language other, other than English, languages other than English to the population for certain things. That's something I, that's a yeah, great. You've been, you've been a very, uh... You're very, very, uh, uh, you know, 
good point that you I've seen policies on the state level in the US. Yeah. Uh, federally, it's been there are several, but it's okay. not mandated ubiquitously across the entire country. Uh, there are some programs uh, that they target, like civil rights or bilingual, a bilingual education act, or you know, uh, uh, every student succeed act, which is has some uh, bilingualism in there. There's also something around the national security act um, initiative uh, for languages as well. It's they they consider languages part of the national security as well. So if you learn more than one language, uh, you're part of that. So and if, and there's also something on the um, uh, in the act for foreign languages. Sorry, I did some research while we're talking. The foreign language assistance program because I want to remember this. <laughs> and also the preservation of indigenous languages, which is very big topic for us in Canada. There is one for you guys in the U.S. Um, it is, yep. The uh, the it's called the Esther Martinez Native American Language Preservation Act in 2006. Uh, that was that was took effect. So um, again, um, it's not a bilingualism thing, but it's driven by cause. Uh, it's driven by support of certain causes, uh, which is. And I understand that California has one of those. Uh, I think the most prominent language support, if you will, uh, from a consumer perspective for you guys. So if yeah. you have, from my understanding, if you, if you want a specific contract or specific content in a language that you don't that you like to see it in in the U.S specifically in California, you have the right to ask for that. I believe that uh, because I remember, go so I lived there for 10 years and I remember going to DM, you know, the Department of Motor Vehicles and you could take the test in several different languages. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. And going back to learning another language, it's um, um, for me personally, it, and going by my personal experience as, as you know, as I, grew up in where I am right now. And, you know, if I'm traveling now, I go to another country, people don't believe it. Like I can read the, you know, I went, we went to Portugal a few years ago, you know, never been to Portugal before, you know, I was able to read the signs and make sense right. of it because I speak French and I speak English and I, you know, I'm familiar, a little bit familiar with Spanish. So I can read, you know, what, what it says and I can just, you know, not to, you know, I don't have to use the Google lens to figure it out. I've, you know, it's okay. I can understand it. So it opens my mind on other languages. It opens my mind on how I perceive other languages and how I understand them. And the um, one of the biggest thing is that the um, the speed of learning it's crazy because if I go to another, you know, it's not it's not one of those things I need to live there for five years to learn another language. Now it's more like six months, and I should be able to communicate not perfectly. And I and you know I say this to people like who wants to learn another language, don't be shy of making mistakes. You know, the worst thing you do is you're afraid, you don't want to mis you make mistakes, and you wait till everything is perfect before you pronounce your first sentence. Right. It's not good. You have, no. have to learn by mistakes, and that's every language. It comes with the territory. Don't be shy. Try it. And if you make a mistake, so what? You try it again, and next time you do better. Um, that's right. I remember when I was speaking English, you know, I was um, I'm a computer grad, so I'm, you know, I'm a programmer. So I'm not communicating that much, but, you know, when I – do something uh, at uh, at the company I was working for. I have to write a memo in English telling the users how to <laughs> how to use the program. I remember it was like it was one of those you know my my and it's and, it, and it's great because this is another aspect too. If another culture sees you learning and their language, they're they're embracing you. They're helping you. They're trying to they're trying to make you do better with that language. So I remember you know my colleagues, which 
you know, they're trying to help me and they're no, they have no interest other than to see me succeed, I guess, at that, at that point, trying to come with me to write a memo in English. And it's, it was part of my learning process. I oh. did not write perfect and it was not, you know, something I pride myself on writing in English. No, I don't, I don't know how to write in English at that time. But people were coming together to help me write better, to do better, to learn better. Now, there are some of them that I still remember their names, and I'm not going to mention them on this podcast. They used to make fun of me when I speak English, which is fine, perfectly fine. When they made fun, when, when they made fun of me, it told me that I made a mistake and I have to do better next time. It, I did not take it personally. So this is I don't see it. You speak like a native to me, so I don't I don't understand that at all. But that's but early on. Like early on, on right? you know, I moved quite a bit up. Yeah. Being a nerd, I mean, being a computer geek, you know, and not knowing English, yeah, you had like two strikes, not two strikes against you, but so, you know, some challenges there. <laughs> yeah, so, so the point is, the point is learning is important. And the second thing I would like to say, if you're learning another language to our audience, um, there is a, something called thinking in another language, not necessarily just speaking it. So when you're learning, you have to think in that language. So let's say I want to, say something in French, before I start saying it in French, I'm playing it in my mind, I'm thinking in a situation where that sentence applies, you know, how do I formulate it, etc. When your brain starts thinking in Spanish, in, in Spanish or French, whatever the language you're thinking about, right? And I remember one time I was watching one of those old movies back in the back in the days, and this person is trying to fly a plane, and that plane program and computers are programmed in, um, in another language. The pilot puts the helmet on, and the, pilot, and the helmet has some smarts in it, some uh, intelligence in it, it reads your brain. And if unless your brain think in that language, you're not going to be able to fly that plane. So th I, you know, I always, that, was res that resonated with me, thinking that I always now have to think of that language before I start speaking it. Oh, yes, that's really interesting. Thinking in that language, sometimes I will dream uh, in a different language. Um, you know, in high school, what helped me, one of the things that I would do, I would take popular songs that I would hear on the radio and translate them, you know, into French or Spanish. And what, the one that comes to mind is Sesame Street, you know, um, who are the people in your neighborhood and quienes son los antes en su barrio, which isn't right, and not grammatically, but you think about, you know, the popular songs or, you know, songs you grew up with and you, you translate them in, into uh, different languages. And that I think helps the learning process as well. Oh, absolutely. In the uh, reading, uh, listening, um, you know, practicing your pronunciation is very important too. You know, uh, even watching movies, even if you have the subtitles, you know, below, you're still hearing, you know, the language as it's being. God, there's, yeah. What did I? I watch? Yeah, I also, um, I also I'm not sure if you experimented with this, uh, Carrie, but I also. Uh, read uh, quite a bit, and I've, I've tested it. There's something called subconscious learning. Hmm. And so you learn, you know, um, as an experiment, for instance, you can go to YouTube uh, and you put a YouTube on as you fall asleep. And when you're in sleep, you're learning, you're learning that language. So if you put a learning language in Spanish, for instance, you want to learn Spanish, and apparently it doesn't happen magically, and it's not gonna, you're not going to wake up the next day speaking Spanish, but over time, your brain registered the sound, registered the sound wave, and then down the road, it's not so strange to you and accelerates the learning for you. I believe it. I, I think of problems sometimes before I go to sleep, 
um, so my unconscious mind can think about it while I'm sleeping and you wake up with maybe not the solution, but um, a few solutions. And so I, I, I totally buy into that. I believe that. So, you know, and, and now, you know, if you take what we have today in the world we're living in, learning is available like at your fingertip, any subject, any topic you want. It's very easy to learn, either using electronic methods or using face-to-face -face methods, et cetera. And compare that back to like even 50, 60 years ago, not that long ago. And you would think, well, that wasn't possible before. I mean, I have to go to, like you were saying, result, res resort to things like, you know, go to private school or hire a tutor or, you know, hire somebody to help me out. Today, uh, with the variety of tools that we currently have in, at our disposal, um, the learning process, A, never stops. B, you can learn anything, and specifically in languages. You can learn any language you want. And it's available to you, and a lot of times they're free to learn. It's not like you have to pay for it. But you mentioned the uh, they mentioned the experience that you have with the um, which I like uh, and I'm not sure if, if if it's available to everybody is hiring a nanny that speaks a different language. The kids learn uh, uh, immediately now in a bilingual family that happens naturally organically. Uh, but if you don't, um, that supports that premise. Uh, having another voice who speaks a different language in the family helps the kids get exposed to that language. Yes. Yeah, I had a friend, a Swedish friend, uh, who moved to the States, and she insisted on an au pair from a different country so her kids could grow up. Yeah. Not only English, Swedish, you know, and, uh, you know, she married a Greek guy. Uh, I think they, their nanny was from uh, Lithuania or something. <laughs> so as many languages as possible, yeah. So, um, you know, we've touched on some, several topics in our conversation uh, today regarding language uh, learning, Carrie, um, and you uh, have expressed a lot of passion for this uh, topic because it's, I mean, it's natural to have passion to, to this topic because you want to see kids succeed. You want them to be brilliant in, your, in their future. Uh, and math and physics and arts and culture are very important, but learning another language opened that much money door for that individual, for that kid down the road to have much better future, in my opinion. Um, so um, any, uh, I mean, I, we're wrapping it up here. Any further comments on the topic and, and uh, anything else you'd like to add to this? Funny, I just thought of something. You know, the people that are probably watching this are, are in the look industry, right? So they already know. They probably agree with us already. I think, you know, maybe the question is what, what, how should we make our outreach to people beyond the localization industry to really um, hit home the benefits of, of learning another language? And I don't know, community outreach in our own, you know, communities. I live in Idaho most people look like me um, uh, with very few exceptions. The, Ch the Chobani yogurt place uh, out in Twin Falls, he is an immigrant and he will only hire immigrants. So that's why I buy Chobani yogurt. <laughs> but, uh, so there's, we have little pockets, you know, in Idaho, but I think the better question maybe is how do we outreach to the people beyond our, our industry who already know the benefits of learning a different language? And that's maybe the question that I want people to comment on. What else can we do in our own community? For me, it's it's reaching out to Boise State and go 
talk to the people that are just starting freshmen, you know, and what, what language, well, how could language benefit me, possibly benefit me? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's a little outreach. So I, you bring up a very good point. I mean, these conversations, similar to the one we have to, today, I think we need to increase the frequency of those conversations because eventually these conversations going to fall on the right ears. And eventually those conversations, they're going to affect the right people in a positive way. Uh, so we need to increase our dialogues around this, around this topic. And um, you're absolutely correct in terms of influencing uh, our society, our organizations, our political system, in some cases, to address this particular, uh, particular topic in terms of teaching uh, young kids at a young age another language. It's a fascinating topic, to be honest with you. We could talk about it for hours. Um, I want to thank you for coming online uh, with me today, uh, Carrie. Uh, good to see you again. And, you too. Uh, hope, and ho hopefully, uh, hopefully down the road we have a little bit more, uh, uh, a lot more, I want to say, uh, topics that we can uh, dig deeper into. Uh, you're always welcome back to this channel. Uh, you know, consider it your own. Uh, you're always welcome. You're not a guest. You're almost an owner of this with me. I consider everybody who comes here is part of this, part of this story that we're trying to tell. This is not just about the localization industry. This is the localization industry telling their story to the world. And what we do in the localization industry is not just delivering services for profit, which we all operate businesses in that, in that regard. The other thing that we do is a more humanitarian effort uh, as an industry. And the humanitarian effort is in creating those interconnectivities between uh, demographics, between different cultures, between different countries, and reducing that friction, if you will, I hope to think that are translation, translating to another language and making people understand another language, understand each other, uh, reduces the friction between those societies and contribute to world peace. Now, this is, you heard it first on this channel, localization industry contributes to world peace. And I truly believe that. We all need to run for office. That's what needs to happen. We need to get ourselves in the political you know, arena and then real change will happen. Absolutely. Good to have you on uh, online with me again, Carrie. Thank you for thank coming. You. I really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks uh, for taking the call with me today. For our audience, uh, thank you very much for being with me this morning. And uh, look forward to seeing you in another episode, in another engaging episode. Please like and subscribe uh, to our channel. We really appreciate that. Thank you again. Thanks, Robin. Thanks for tuning in to the Localization Fireside Chat. Take the warmth of knowledge and renewed cultural passion with you. Keep exploring. Stay curious, and until next time, this is Robin Ayoub. Keep those global conversations alive.